Um, and we started season two with a pretty heavy topic, so we're very on brand. <laughs> what What was season two's uh, starting? That That was when we did America to Me. Oh, God. yep. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast connecting academic ideas to popular media. As always, I am your co-host, Martha Sullivan, um, recovering, uh, from a con- recovering from a con-crud cold and hip deep in uh, cryptid research. I am here today with my co-host. I'm Pete Romberg, and I don't have a snappy all-C uh, alliterative title for myself. Calling mine snappy is reaching. Yeah, yeah, but it was like, I, I always appreciate the alliterative, so... It uh, I, I am not the originator of the phrase concrud. No, but... but then you threw that cold on the end, you got cryptids in there. That's true. Uh, today we are going to be, uh, we are, as you may not have noticed, guestless. Uh, we are going to be uh, getting into some film Twitter memes, talking about our favorite bad movies and other fun stuff. Um, but before we get to that, it is time to discuss what is stuck in our head this week. This is the uh, piece of pop culture or media that we have enjoyed since last we talked to you that we just cannot get out of our heads. Uh, Pete, what's stuck in your head today? So a, f- a few days ago, Bon Iver released their newest album a couple weeks early for streaming services, and I am incredibly excited. Uh, I've been a fan of Bon Iver since their first album for Emma Forever Ago, all the way back in 2008. Uh, this is their fourth studio album. It is called, in the classic Bon Iver style, uh, lowercase i, comma, no space, lowercase i, is how it's stylized, or simply ii. Um, this is a lot better than uh, 22 a million's stylization, which had a bunch of weird symbols in the song titles. Um, these songs just have some commas in places and have weird names. Um, it's much more of the 22 a million kind of sound than the 4 Emma sound. Um, so we're doing a little bit, we're doing some distortion, we're doing some uh, like computery noises. Uh, but over and under and through it all are Justin Vernon's beautiful fals- falsetto uh, vocals and incomprehensible, inscrutable lyrics, which um, have always been doing it for me and are continuing to do it for me. Um, so whenever the vinyl for this gets available, you better believe I'm going to be grabbing one of those. I don't listen to as much Bon Iver as I probably should, so I don't have a whole lot to contribute to this conversation. You would definitely Uh like the first two albums, and then it's a big old cliff to jump off for the third album. Uh, I think it's really good. It's stylistically very different, and it might be a huge turnoff for you knowing your music tastes. Did Bon Iver do any movie soundtrack stuff? Like, I'm trying to remember if there was a context in which I did hear some of their music. I would bet that some of his st- their stuff is in movies. Just sort of ethereally in general? Yeah. Like, you know, you've seen a hipster movie in the past 10 years. That's uh, true, I have. It's probably got some of that in there. I'm seeing... Um... Yeah, all right. 
So sounds good. <laughs> so probably um, warm bodies. I did see warm bodies. The the place beyond the pines, August that Osage County. Yeah, so they've they've had some stuff in some movies. Oh, Sense Eight. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah, that that fits. Yeah, had had one of my favorite Bonifer songs in it. Um, and Legion apparently has a song in it as well. Because Legion has music from everybody. <laughs> yes, yes, this is true. It rules. Uh, so it stuck in my head this week. I went back and forth and ultimately discarded my first choice, which was The Terror, um, because I want to do a whole episode about that. I want you to so... do a whole episode about it so that I have a reason to watch it. Yes, um... In brief, the penultimate episode of the first season was actually one of the best episodes of TV that got produced in 2018, and I'm bummed that I'm late to the party because it would have been on my list uh, if I had seen it in a timely fashion. Um, not, not to make this a, like a, a terror cast situation, but uh, would it be better to assign the entire season for a late summer or a depths of winter situation? I think depths of winter. Mm. Because Double down then, on that snow and that cold. Yes. <laughs> because I want us all to feel like a monstrous Inuit supernatural creature is stalking at our doors. <laughs> <laughs> but so what I'm actually going to talk about right now is Mothra of Godzilla fame. Mm -hmm. I decided over the weekend that I was going to get a Mothra tattoo because... I like giant monsters, and her name is like my name, and every Halloween, my Twitter name becomes Mothra Sullivan. Um, and then I decided if I'm going to get her tattooed on my body, I should probably know more about her than those things that I just named. So I've been uh, doing some reading, um, and I none of none of her movies were available. Uh, for streaming in an instant fashion. So I've been watching a lot of YouTube clips. Uh, Mothra rules, actually. <laughs> she is an explicitly female monster who is most frequently... Um, she's much more heroic than a lot of the Godzilla pantheon of creatures. She has her own little tribe of small island girls that, like, summon her to protect... Uh, protect their island she frequently starts off as a grub or a caterpillar and has to evolve into her final form and i identify highly with that always trying to do her best uh situation so i'm just i'm just very into mothra right now i have emailed my tattoo artist and i'm waiting to hear back about times but that is definitely happening uh and then i get to carry her around with me everywhere so i'm excited about that was she in the most recent godzilla movie that i did not see i think so but i also haven't seen it right because that movie just had like all the monsters in it so she was probably in it too yeah it really feels like they skipped a couple of steps before <laughs> making that one <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right we got godzilla great now we have godzilla and everyone else uh okay. everyone <laughs> Uh, so we are going to take a quick break, and oh, when we come uh, before back... before we do that, oh, where are you thinking of getting the tattoo? Oh, on my, like, the side or back of my upper arm. I can hear um, you trying opposite. to point to show it, but as a as a non-visual medium. <laughs> oh, no. 
Um, it's going to go on my right arm, um, but not up on my shoulder. I want it a little set back, I think. So more on, like, the back of my upper arm. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Very cool. Yeah, I'm saving my forearm for something because that's very primo real estate. So mm -hmm. I wanted this one to not to be in a place where I could still get other stuff on my arm and it wouldn't like interfere. Right. All right, we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to get into some uh, pop culture Twitter memes. Welcome back. So as our listeners may or may not know, I live on Twitter, um, which is not good for my mental health, but it is, you know, a problem that I'm not working to fix. Uh, and here we are. Um, and one of the things that pops up on Twitter a lot are like, I mean, the, the general name is Twitter memes, but like questions from pop culture, Twitter uh, asking you to like list your hot takes or your unpopular opinions or um, some of the more positive ones, which I think we're gonna we can agree <laughs> that we've picked some of the more positive ones to talk about on this episode. Uh, so Pete and I are gonna go through a couple of these and just talk about like pop culture and media in general as it um, you know pops up in the Twitter sphere. Uh, the first one is one that I've done a couple of times. Uh, which is describe yourself in four fictional characters. Um, there, I just threw up a post on our Instagram if you would like to see these in illustration, but I thought we could just briefly address uh, the four um, uh, four characters that we picked uh, to kind of describe ourselves. Um, Pete, tell me about your characters. All right. Uh, do you want just the whole list in one go? Yeah. yeah, might as well. Otherwise, that'll slow it way down. Uh, so, <clears throat> with with all these Twitter memes, uh, there I too live on Twitter all the time. Uh, am actively not trying to fix it. Uh, my brain is melting through my ears. Um, but these are all memes that I've been exposed to, but have not interacted with. So, uh, Martha, when um, you suggested this category, you had all of these already locked and loaded, ready to go, and I had to spend some time thinking about what my four characters would be, or what my you know, whatever the meme was. Um, oh, every time I see one of these pop up on Twitter, I'm like, yes, let me answer this. <laughs> well, and then frequently you are the, uh, the patient zero for my understanding of the meme. Um, when we get to Wonder. reading wheelhouse, I think you were the, the first one of those I saw. Um, but so, so the, as I was thinking this over in the last couple days, the first one that popped into my head is wash from firefly. Um, and then it was pretty easy to go from there and figure out that Ben Wyatt from parks and rec is a. A character that makes me feel very seen. Um, even more so, though, is Speckle from Tuca and Birdie, which if we're not all watching Tuca and Birdie, um, we should be. So go ahead and do it. It got canceled. Very sad. Start watching it. Um, and finally... Quick side, yeah. quick side question about Tuca and Birdie. Um, I watched the first episode, mm -hmm. and I 
found it to actually be a little bit stressful because of how frenetic it is. Does that get better or like is it always kind of maintaining that very frantic level of energy? Tuka is always an agent of chaos, so there's always that going in, but I do think that the like I'd say watch two or three and then bail. Like okay. if if it maintains that too stressful energy, because um, like that that energy I did not find stressful, so I'm like, I have a hard time gauging for you whether it would, like, continue to be. I was also watching it on a plane, which may not have been mm. optimal. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, but like um, I felt almost I felt almost guilty because I know it's been like a really popular and important show for a lot of people, and I found the first episode to be like. I, I felt very strongly averse to the first episode. I, and I was like, am I TVing wrong? <laughs> <laughs> I know, like, the, the way they, especially, like, the way they introduce the characters and everything at the very beginning is very frenetic. Um, I Give it one more shot and then happily uh, bail on it if it's not doing it for you. Okay. Um, I have your permission now. Yes. So if anyone gets mad at me for not liking it. Yeah, you can blame me. <laughs> I can tell them that Pete gave me permission. <laughs> um, well, and then uh, my fourth character to wrap this up is uh, Dustin from Stranger Things. So very, very leaning want... heavy on the uh, the TV show and on the more modern angle because, you know, that, that's what I'm thinking of right now. Um, I just want to say that I'm, oh, I may have listed them in the order that you sent them to me. I was going to say, I made my, I made the photo collage in exactly the order you just said, <laughs> but I think it's because that was the order you sent uh, them to I'm me. I'm looking at the text that I sent you, so that, I'm reading them in the order I sent it to you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can't take credit for it. Um, so for mine, I... I went a little bit more whimsical, I think, but I think it's also fair to say that I am a bit more whimsical person than Pete is. Mm-hmm. Um, Please see the Ben so Wyatt I, choice. <laughs> I have uh, Kiki from Kiki's Delivery Service. Um, I have Tiffany Aching from the um, Tiffany Aching books from Terry Pratchett. That's such a good um, I frequently... I frequently like to say that Tiffany is who I am and Commander Sam Vimes from the Nightwatch books is who I aspire to be. <laughs> um, uh, BB-8 from Star Wars. Um, specifically, BB-8 doing his little flame thumbs up. Uh, and then Nurse Joy from Pokemon. Um, the common theme of my characters is people who are doing their best, which you may... Uh, if it sounds familiar to you, it's because I just talked about Mothra always doing her best. So this is like a common theme in my life. Like, I may not do a perfect job, but I am always, always, always trying to do the best that I can. Um, I may not always have a happy outlook, but I always try to, like, put on a happy face. Um, I like helping other people. I... <clears throat> I strive to be the best helper, like BB-8 is the best helper. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, I tend to identify with female characters who are, you know, doing their best at, like, they, they strongly identify as, like, whatever their 
calling is and then they're just always trying to be the best at that thing um yeah so that's that's me and four fictional characters i also appreciate that the photo of tiffany or the illustration of tiffany i found has her holding a frying pan <laughs> I, uh, is that the one the, from the uh, the book we read with the, with the we free men yes nice. we free men where she where she wails on the mythical river creature with a cast iron frying pan mm -hmm. yes <laughs> i also appreciate that level of sensibility like i'm facing down a mythical creature <laughs> with a heavy duty kitchen implement <laughs> this is what i got let's go um so next we're going to talk about our nine favorite movies from 1999. Uh, Pete and I were talking about this a little bit before we started recording. 1999 was a big year for movies. Yep. A lot of stuff came out this year. <laughs> yep. Um, we also talked a bit, and we'll get into this a little bit more after we run down our lists, but how our lists now with 10 years of distance are different from the, how are different from the list that we would have constructed ten years ago. Um, and I got bad news for you. It's twenty years of total distance. Twenty years so. ago. Oh my god! I was just about <laughs> to say ten years ago I was twenty-two. Wait, these movies didn't come out when I was twenty-two. No, twenty years ago because the nineties were twenty years ago. But that being said, um, my list now is different than I would have made it. Like, obviously different than I would have made it in 1999 when I was in, like, I don't know, sixth grade or something. Um, but it was definitely different than what I would have made in 2009 when I was, yeah, 22 or whatever. Um, because that, like, things have changed both in terms of, like, our tastes and I think in terms of, like, how they resonate within the culture. Um, and we'll get into that. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that that is also worth... Um, talking about because yeah when I was 22 my list would have been probably more geared to impress people than mm -hmm. it is now I mean now it's like well what do I like what did I like in 1999 what do I still like and I'm I'm much less embarrassed by the things that I like than I think I was when I was 22 uh, so mine are not in any particular order do we want to start with the ones that we have on both of our lists yeah and we have so, a fair amount of similarities here. We do. We both have the Matrix. Mm -hmm. Because, so a couple of these actually, when I talk about my list of like the t my top five or top ten movies ever, a couple of these movies are on there. Um, I mean, and, and the Matrix starting, is a perfect movie. Well, and I, I have argued about this with friends of mine. I think the Matrix is the Zeitgeist movie of millennials. I mm -hmm. think it is I think it is one of our defining moments. I think the way that people relate to technology is encapsulated in the Matrix and how we have grown up like integrated with it but also very afraid of it. Um yeah. And, and there think... like there are a couple messages you could take away from it and I think unfortunately they have all been taken away. Like it is both a deeply human movie and also a quasi nihilistic movie and you know you can see those both of those uh, as pretty serious currents in like the millennial ether. And ultimately optimistic, which I seriously appreciate about it. I mean, however you feel about the sequels, um, I, I like that they gave them a happy ending. Mm -hmm. um, the next one is 10 Things I Hate About You, 
again, one of my top 10 movies, I think, ever. Uh, we did talk about this on one of our episodes, so I don't think we need to go too super into it. But um, I do a whole other podcast about teen rom-coms with uh, Pete's wife, Marin, And this is, I think, one of the best. Are you guys going to delve into any of these, like, into the 90s ones? Because there was another rom-com, like, teen rom-com that came out in 1999 that neither of us have on the list. Oh, what is it? Uh, looking it up right now. Um, I was going to say, I don't I don't remember it off the top of my head. I mean, probably. We're we're starting with the stuff that is um, Netflix original. Oh, uh, She's All That. Oh. Um, came Ten out... Things I Hate About You is better, but they actually have a lot of similarities. Yeah, they came out like two months apart. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're starting with the, the Netflix original stuff, but at some point we'll get into the things that are just available on streaming rather than streaming original stuff. Mm-hmm, sure. Um, but yeah, 10 Things I Hate About You stars the inimitable Heath Ledger and Julia Stiles. It's one of the best, I think, modern Shakespeare adaptations that we've got. Mm-hmm. Um, Still problematic, I, but it's adapting a very problematic play and it does it better, so yeah, that's okay. But I'll also, I mean, again... I talked about this on our Shakespeare episode. I'll go to the mat for um, Taming of the Shrew. So, <laughs> uh, We also both have Sleepy Hollow to go in entirely the opposite <laughs> direction. <laughs> uh, Sleepy Hollow is an unfortunate movie for me because I really love it and I don't think I'll ever be able to watch it again because, because of, of Johnny Depp. Mm, yeah. yeah. But yeah. Sleepy Hollow, I actually, I have a very clear memory of when I went to go see it, um, because I saw this one in the theater. But Martha, it was an R-rated movie. That's true. We're not 17. (laughs) That's correct. Um, A friend of mine and I went to go see it. We did not know it was rated R, so my parents dropped us off at the movie theater and left. (laughs) We were then unable to get into the movie theater and this was pre-cell phone (laughs) which meant that we spent the next 45 minutes using a payphone to call my house (laughs) to come and get a pickup (laughs) because we could not get in to see this movie uh then my parents took us back the next day and bought our tickets for us and i still saw it when i was age inappropriate to see it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which also tells you a lot of how my parents have always been like, you know what? You can self-regulate. Yeah. <laughs> We're not going to tell you you can or can't see something. Um, but yeah, it's weird, creepy horror. I love it. But, but I mean, like, honestly, like, it's rated R, but for, you know, for kids like kids we were at that time, it was, like, perfect. Yeah, it's, like, just the right amount of creepy, Yeah, I think. Yeah. Like, the, the part where all the heads come out of the tree is gross, mm-hmm. but that's sort of the worst, like, that's the most gory part that I can think of. And when he's, like, vivisecting the, or dissecting the, the corpse, but that's just, like, squicky, not, like, gross. I was gonna say, that's so scientific that I, like, yeah. don't remember being creeped out by it. Well, and everything has got, like, the, the Burton, you know, gothic, like, you know, I, uh, expressionist, like, visual, visuals, so it's all, like one step removed from reality. Yeah. Uh, And then the last one that we all have, or we both have, is Dogma, which remains my favorite Kevin Smith movie. Hands down, 
but that's also because the bar is pretty low. Have we talked about Dogma on this podcast? Yes. Yes. Perfect. We, we've <laughs> talked about a lot of these top 10 movies on the podcast. <laughs> True. <laughs> Have we talked about The Matrix? Have we found a no, reason we should, to... No, we should do a Matrix-only episode. Yes. And how... All I three, actually all legitimately three think we could. Like, the way that The Matrix has affected media, yeah. I think, is pretty intense. And, and we would have to watch all three. Okay. Yeah. We can also watch The Animatrix. We can sure. watch that last yeah. to um, clean the taste out of our mouths. <laughs> um, but yeah, Dogma has a lot of stuff that I continue to love in media. A close dissection of theology, um, Salma Hayek. Alanis Morissette. Alanis Morissette. Um, <laughs> no, it's just a great movie. It's irreverent and it's funny, but it's also like deeply relatable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like when when we uh, uh, talked about it for whatever episode it was, I was a little concerned that it would not hold up. It was the kind of movie that like Comedy Central aired nonstop for like three years, um, so I had mostly seen it via that. Um, but it it holds up in a surprising way. Oh, yeah. Well, because, again, I think that relatability of it, I mean, that's always going to make a piece of media um, more timeless is yeah. the more identifiable I, the I was, themes are. Right. I was more concerned with just the, like, Kevin Smith comedy not aging terribly well, because um, I feel like a lot of his other 90s movies, like, the jokes that were fine and funny then are now, like, now. Uh, and there aren't as many of those in Dogma. Um, maybe because it was just swinging for the fences at the get-go and, and, like, went with religion, which is, you know, perpetually either going to work or not going to work, depending on the audience. And I'm sure it's got some tasteless homophobic jokes in it because I think almost every Kevin Smith movie does. And also most movies from Um, the 90s. Yeah, unfortunately. We were really into those jokes. Um, Yeah. Also, Dogma, first scene, Milwaukee Airport. Got us mention that every time I talk about it. Uh, So then our lists start to diverge. Um, I have sort of an animated segment um, in mine. Um, I don't know if I I addressed this at the top, but these are not in any particular order. I was not asked to rank them, so I didn't. Um, But I have Tarzan, Pokemon the Movie 2000, and Toy Story 2 all on my list. And here is where I'm going to make a distinction between best movies that came out in 1999 (laughs) and favorite movies that came out in 1999 because Pokemon the Movie 2000 is not a good movie, Mm -mm. but it is a movie that I have a high amount of nostalgia for. I am still a Pokemon person. I always will be. Um, And that one was when they were still releasing the movies in the theaters. So my sister and I got to go see this one. We stood in line. I got a promo Ancient Mew card. It was a very fun experience. I know exactly Um, what that card looks like. Right? (laughs) And the music, I I will argue that the music for this movie was legitimately great. Was this the first Um, one with Mewtwo or not the first one? No, that was... That was Pokemon, the first movie. Mm. Uh, This was the one with Lugia and the three uh, legendary birds. Sure. I might not have seen seen this one. (laughs) Okay. I also very firmly believe that Tarzan is underrated uh, in terms of the Disney pantheon of films. 
Um, I'm a sucker for a Phil Collins soundtrack. So, you know. Um, and Toy Story 2 is the best Toy Story movie. Full stop. I haven't seen number four, but I'm actually very uh, convinced about that. Um, serious question for you on your animated list. Uh, one of the ones on my list is Iron Giant. Where is the Iron Giant on your list? Um, <laughs> Why is it not at number one? <laughs> uh, the Iron Giant is a movie that I forgot came out in 1999. Mm, I, I was straight up on Wiki, which is how I knew it came out in 1999. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I have no excuse. Um, I was late. <laughs> I was extremely late to that party, so mm. I didn't see it until I was, like, an adult. Sure. So, and I think most of these movies I did actually see in 1999, so. Oh, interesting. Most of these movies I don't think I did. But, yeah. D- definitely, yeah, like, I... a mix of, like, nostalgia and and not nostalgia. Yeah. Uh, my list caps off with uh, Deep Blue Sea and the Mummy. I was trying to figure out a good way, like a fun way to introduce those, and I, I couldn't. So um, Speaking of movies that are, are like not great but on your list. Okay, so The Mummy is a great movie. I, I will actually fight you about this. <laughs> it is a great adventure movie. It is romantic. It is funny. Um, it, the sequel is possibly better than the first one the third one is trash Mm -hmm. but the second one um i have a deep appreciation for because evie and o'connell get to be married and have a loving and supportive relationship and the drama there is not like romantic drama like they have a family and they have a kid and you know they're they support each other and i just really liked that there was never like the the tension between them was never are they gonna separate no Mm. they love each other they have Mm -hmm. a great relationship they are partners evie gets to be an equal um plus the mummy has that iconic scene where rachel weiss gets to say very proudly that she is a librarian (laughs) and i identify with that very highly Deep Blue Sea is not a great movie, (laughs) but it does have one of the best moments that has ever been committed uh, to film, where, spoiler alert for a 20-year-old movie, (laughs) Samuel Jackson is giving the pump-up speech and then gets eaten like a dry fly by a giant shark. (laughs) Not only is that scene incredible, but it leads to one of my favorite lines from The Chappelle Show, which is, in Deep Blue Sea, a shark ate me. Um, yeah, Deep Blue Sea is the best. My dad and I watched it together and rewound rewound and replayed that moment at least four times. We were (laughs) laughing so hard we were crying. Um, yeah, again, favorite does not always equal best. Mm -hmm. It does for a lot of these movies. It does not for Deep Blue Sea, but it is a, it is a bad movie that I love, um, unironically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so tell me about the rest of your list, Pete. Yeah, wrapping up my list, uh, as I said, Iron Giant is absolutely on this list. Um, one of the best animated movies of all time, um, and sort of Brad Bird's launching point, as he has now gone and done a bunch of uh, Pixar stuff. Um, beyond that, I have sort of two buckets. I've got uh, Mystery Men and Galaxy Quest in the first bucket, both 
sort of, I just realizing this now, both uh, genre parodies. Um, Galaxy Quest we've assigned uh, years ago on this podcast. Still a great movie. R.I.P. Alan Rickman. Um, Mystery Men, I think the consensus is it came out too early. Uh, I haven't seen it in a while, so I'm a little bit concerned about some of the humor. I'm guessing that uh, uh, Sphincter, or whatever his name is, might not play quite as well now. Um, but in general, William H. Macy is absolutely incredible in it. Um, and yeah, now that we are in a glut of superhero movies, I would kind of like to revisit Mystery Men as the, like, taking the air out of the, the superhero movies. I will say both Mystery Men and Galaxy Quest were on, like when I was making this list, I threw a bunch of stuff in a doc and yeah. then just like edited it down. And both Mystery Men and Galaxy Quest were on a version of my list. Sure. But ultimately I had to be true to my heart. Yeah. Um, but I love them both. Well, and I would say... Uh, I, Mm -hmm. Galaxy Quest holds up. Um, I'm with you on Mystery Men. I haven't seen it in a while. But I do think about the scene where William H. Macy is making an egg salad sandwich, like, <laughs> on an almost weekly basis. Yes. When he's like, am I going to die from eating this egg salad sandwich? Or are we going to die saving the world? And I identify with that. Yes. He is uh, truly the cornerstone of the movie. Um and, and similarly, um, like, being true to myself, you know, I, I have fond memories of Toy Story 2. I'm pretty sure I have not seen it since it was in theaters, so I did not feel like I could put it on my list. Um, just because it's, it's been so long, I don't really, I don't even remember what happens in that movie. Um, <laughs> so my, my last two, then, are more the art films of 1999. Um, Three Kings, which is a, a movie I have not seen in a long time. But I have very fond memories of watching it, and I generally like David O. Russell, so I sort of threw it on here as the, like, it was David O. Russell's breakout movie. Um, I, you know, George Clooney is in it, who can't help but love that. Um, this was, like, before he was actually a movie star and was trying to figure out how to become one, um, coming off the heels of Batman and Robin. Um, but then, it like, my, my last movie and... I'm not going to say it's the best movie of 1999, but it's the maybe one of the biggest swings of 1999, um, being John Malkovich. Malkovich, 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 Malkovich. Um, I was I almost said I would have include included this in your parody movies because I oh, do think huh. it's a parody, but I don't know what it's a parody of. <laughs> I can absolutely I can get that read like it's a parody of like heady intellectual movies. Um, uh, other movies that came out in 2001 or in 1999 are Eyes Wide Shut, which I, which is getting like a critical reevaluation right now, but I haven't seen it in a long time. So I didn't want to throw it on there. Um, and then the movies that we both left off, um, or, or at least like the movies that I left off that I would have included 10 years ago are Fight Club and American Beauty. Um, I used to really like Fight Club. I think it still might be... Like, there are scenes that I think about it. It looks gorgeous. Fincher is, like, still a fantastic director, and I like all his things on principle. But in the year 2019, it sort of has a... It, it's resonating at a frequency that I really have a hard time grappling with, and so I did not want to put it on my list. 
Um, whereas in 2009, I, it was resonating at like a different frequency with, with the zeitgeist. I think I only ever liked Fight Club performatively. I hmm. don't know that I ever liked it. Sure, sure. Um, but I also think, and this this can be a bad thing. I don't think it needs to be, but it's an incredibly masculine movie. It is. I think it is just a movie that is not for me. So, like, I, I recognize that there are a lot of really great, like, cinematic aspects of it. Um, and I think that its message about toxic masculinity gets misunderstood pretty heavily. Yeah, which I is... Think it's very, I think it's actually a very anti-toxic masculinity movie um, that gets misinterpreted. But right. I just... I also have a very hard time with Chuck Palahniuk's literature. Mm-hmm. Um, and the book is... The movie is very similar to the book. So I... Mm, it's just not my movie yeah I, I you're entirely right that i think it it's supposed to be like anti-toxic masculinity but you know it, it is not read that way by many people and that is why it's like i am increasingly finding myself dissatisfied with it it's like it's not the text that's the problem it's the p it's everyone else's interpretation of the text yeah um, other critically acclaimed movies that neither of us included which i actually think are kind of interesting include uh, the Green Mile, mm-hmm. uh, Talented Mr. Ripley, mm-hmm. which I only saw recently for the first time, and I, I did really enjoy it. Um, I just think that I, I missed the window on it being like included in any of my personal yeah. lists. Yeah. Uh, Girl Interrupted and Boys Don't Cry. Yeah, I like Girl Interrupted is one that I saw in like college class i think and didn't know what i was like what to expect from it and walked away really enjoying it um but it like i couldn't justify it getting on my top 10 list yeah um our last movie question is kind of a quickie but uh your favorite movie that came out post 2000 so right after this seminal year of film (laughs) Uh, that has a Rotten Tomatoes score of less than 50%. Was the, Do you know, was this meme inspired by an XKCD comic? Yes. Okay, That cool. is exactly where it came from. So the other piece of the, the XKCD one that I don't know if you took into consideration because I didn't have it in the point, was that came out while you were an adult. So mm-hmm. for you and I, that doesn't mean post-2000. It almost means post-2010. Yeah, I guess I did not take that into it. Well, this movie came out in 05. I was like a senior in high school. Well, I I didn't I didn't include it in the in the note in the email. Yeah. So Yeah. Um but my movie is Sucker Punch because <laughs> it's a terrible movie. It is a it terrible is movie. Sitting, it is currently sitting at a cold 28% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um but it's it's very problematic, but it's also so much fun. It is it is the absolute ideal of what a man thinks a strong female character is. <laughs> um, but also, I think, ends up having some legitimate shining moments of actual female, like, badassery. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has great visual design. <laughs> I mean... Um, Say, say what you want about um, Zack Snyder. He's a good visual painter. 
he is. And I also think that this is a movie that takes big swings. Um, it was his first original project after uh, 300 and Watchmen. Is it and his only original project? I think it might be. Yeah. The swings are big. Yeah. Like this is a this is a throw it all at the wall <laughs> and see what sticks kind of movie. Um yeah, it's I I love watching it unrepentantly. <laughs> <laughs> um my movie is not one that I would say that I love watching unrepentantly because it's about 30 hours long. Um, or at least it feels that way as you're watching it, but I love scenes of it. It's currently on HBO, and I've been psyching myself up to, to re-watch it, um, and that is Kingdom of Heaven, the 2000, um, uh, 2005 movie directed by Ridley Scott, starring Orlando Bloom as a crusader. Uh, we've also got um, Liam Neeson in it and uh, uh, Edward Norton. Um it's sitting at 39% at Rotten Tomatoes. It's it's basically Gladiator, but in the Crusades, and I love Gladiator, so... Um, is Legolas in that movie, too? Yeah, Orlando Bloom. Yeah. yeah. Did you say that? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Um, yeah. Uh, he's the main I'm character. I'm listening to I promise. Right. I think Eva Green is in it. Um, but it. It's the kind of thing where, like, I wish it was better than it is, but I love the visuals because he does a really good job at getting, like, medieval battle and just like armor sort of stuff going on that like nowadays it's a dime a dozen with game of thrones but it's still nice to see like well done actual history uh middle ages um because there isn't a whole lot of that um at the scale that like ridley scott is able to make mm -hmm. um plus ed norton's character is like a leper king who wears like a silver mask and it's a very cool image it is one that has stuck with me and i like will throw into other fantasy stuff i'm doing <laughs> Okay, so the next question I'm going to ask you is not movie related. Mm -hmm. um, we are switching gears a bit to talk about books. Um, and I want to know, Pete, what is your reading wheelhouse? Yeah. So a, a wheelhouse is what are the things, what are the tropes or genres or particulars about a book that will make you pick it up not knowing anything else about that book. So for me, my reading wheelhouse includes uh, boarding school lit, um, teen witches, feral moms, um, folk horror, haunted houses, or cryptids and monsters just kind of in general. Mm -hmm. Um Mine is uh, complicated or at least interesting magic systems is very near the top. Um, I'll sit for too many pages as someone describes how to do magic. Um, I generally like cyberpunk. Uh, the wackier the better. Um, and uh, like weird horror, like capital W weird things. I'm thinking like Philip K. Dick, like heady kind of weird. Um, and then similarly things like Annihilation, which are um, like formally weird. Um, I'm a sucker. I, I won't always finish it, but I am a sucker for formal ingenuity. Um, thinking here, both Annihilation's um, lack of names for any of the characters and then uh, the fifth season alternating between first person and second person point of view. Um, and then having it all sort of come together near the end. Um, no spoilers, because I know you haven't read that one yet. Um, generally, I'm a, I'm a sucker for 
clever fantasy um, or like fantasy with an interesting take. Big old, um, old like old school fantasy, random paperback fantasy is not usually what's doing it for me. But if you throw in like an interesting twist, I'm probably there. Um, and then like most histories, <laughs> like actual history, <laughs> uh, Roman Empire. Sure. Um, I also very much enjoy a heist story, mm. um, specifically fantasy heists. Mm -hmm. So heists that take place in fantastical worlds. Um, I'm trying to think if I have any other ones. Well thought out, like world building and especially religion is also doing it for me. I'm like the one of the five people who liked the High Sparrow stuff going on in Game of Thrones. Sure. Um, I also enjoy, like, a good political, um, I think specifically for me, like, fantasy politics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, all of the political maneuvering, backstabbing. Yeah. You know, playing the courtly game. <laughs> I'm, I'm right there with that. Uh... So to cap our discussion about Twitter memes off, um, Twitter is bad. I think we can all agree <laughs> on that. But sometimes Twitter is good. Um, why do we think that memes like this have such resonance with people? Because all of these things are, are stuff that got retweeted onto my timeline that had like thousands of retweets and faves and responses. Right. Well, it's like Twitter is an ecosystem, right? It's a it's a communication ecosystem with a lot of smaller niche communities within it. And many people are in multiple of these communities just based on whom they follow. Um, I'm very much in left political Twitter and in pop culture Twitter. Um, one of those is constantly churning and depressing and making me go crazy. Um, and so pop culture Twitter is the nice sort of like take a step back. It's nice when I have, you know, if my timeline is 30 tweets about whatever Trump recently did or said, or, or you know, the fact that we're keeping children in cages, um, it's nice when that, that wall is broken by, um, you know, your four uh, pop culture people who you would be. Um, mm -hmm. Even if not, I'm not engaging in it myself, I like when it's like, oh, this person I follow has posted their thing. This person I follow has posted their thing. So over the course of the day, or like over the course of the, the lifetime of the meme, um, you know, it, it's it's that pop into the world of various people I follow, knowing more about them. And it's the pop out of the, the other bubble that is my constructed timeline, which is uh, like a churning maw of chaos and sadness. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I was going to talk about how, you know, seeing, like, writing out my answer and then seeing other people with similar answers makes me feel more connected mm. to people. Like, it makes, it's one of those things where, like, oh, I'm not the only one who does this weird thing, which I also really enjoy the, like, doing a, a highly identifiable weird behavior. It's like, oh, I do that too. I'm not the only one <laughs> right, right. that rules. <laughs> um, but yeah, like when we all write out our list of favorite movies from 1999, it's like, oh, I'm not the only one that really, really loved Deep Blue Sea. Like it makes me feel more connected to like the pop culture world, I guess. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and also it's like just they tend to be people sharing things that they love, which is you, I think you you kind of already addressed this, but is a really good antidote to the normal cesspit of bad things that are happening on Twitter. That's a, that's like, a really good point that all of these memes are generally positive memes. They're not like it, it, it's what's your reading reading wheelhouse, not like what's your reading turnoff list. Um, well, and it's why it's why I have stopped responding to the, like what's your unpopular hot take because those are almost always negative. Yeah. And it's like, I didn't like this thing that was hugely popular. It's like, okay, you're not cool like you're, for not liking that. Right, you, you're the contrarian. Good job. Yeah, and it's like, you're also not the only person who didn't like Game of Thrones. Like, calm down. <laughs> right, right. Um, but when I do answer those, I try to make them positive. Like, there's one that rolls around a lot that's like, what's your unpopular, like, what's your video game unpopular take? And mine is that I liked the ending of Mass Effect 3. Mm. And... So I try to make mine, I try, when I do respond to them, I try to make them popular or like positive things mm -hmm. um, because I would rather talk about the things we love than wallow in the things we don't. Do you listen to the podcast Blank Check? I don't. Okay. Um, it is, do you know the shtick? No. Cool. Um, it's David Sims, who is a film critic and um, Griffin Newman, who is an actor uh talk about movies um blank check they do it via directors so it's like they did the nolan like all the nolan movies um because the idea is directors who have been given a blank check and then what are their next projects um it's one of those two-hour podcasts where there's lots of bits and lots of like joking around but then there's insightful like you know film analysis and discussion um so your mileage may vary on that. I know some people like the the two hour joking around bits, and some people are like, make this a tight thirty and just get it out the door. Um, that all being said, they do a really good job at talking positively about movies that other people dislike. Like they love Speed Racer, um, which is a I movie... also love Speed Racer. Yes, yes, I know. <laughs> um, which is a movie that did not get a lot of love then or now. Um, their, their contrary opinions tend to be more the positively reevaluating things that have a generally negative, like, you know, cultural um, resonance. So uh, don't always agree with them, but it's it's an interesting sort of, like, window into the thing of just, like, hmm, you are talking animatedly for 15 minutes about how much you love this one scene in, like, in Speed Racer. yeah. Um, related to that, one of my favorite episodes of How Did This Get Made is the one where they talk about Deep Blue Sea, because <laughs> one of their guests for that was like, I love this movie. I've seen it 20 times. And I'm like, I identify highly with you. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I'm here for things on Twitter that make it a more positive experience, because I, I already said this, but I would rather... I would rather take joy in the things that we love than be the person who like barges into your timeline and is like, that's bad. Actually. It's like, you know what? If you don't like a thing that I love, you can not, you can always say nothing. Right. <laughs> you never have to say that's bad actually. Well, it's like, you know, the world is big. Enjoy what you like. As long as it's not hurting anyone else. Don't, you know, crap on other people's, what they like 
I think that is a remarkable mm-hmm. place for us to end this episode. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening to us get real deep on stuff that we love. Uh, if you would like to follow the show, um, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you would normally find podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at DYDYH Podcast. Uh, our Instagram has really been popping off lately, so I, I recommend that. Uh, you can email us at show at homeworkpodcast.com if you've got comments, questions, concerns, want to be a guest, have a suggestion of a topic we should address. Um, you can find us on Facebook. Uh, if you just search, did you do your homework? I'm pretty sure we're the only thing that comes up. Um, you can also listen to my other podcast that releases on this same feed on alternating Wednesdays. It is called Love Ya, and it is uh, Marin and I, repeated guest of this show, Marin and I, uh, digging deep into teen rom-coms that are available for streaming. Uh, we just did an episode on The Last Summer, a Chicago-based um, a Chicago-based movie, and I believe our next episode we're going to be talking about Battle, which is a Swedish dance movie. Uh, I enjoyed in the uh, whatever the Chicago-based movie one was where you went into a deep dive on whether the barbecue places were real and then going to them. I'm going to. I haven't had a chance to yet, but I'm going to do a comparative analysis of both Smoke and Lems so that I can be the final arbiter of which one of these two beautiful teenagers is correct. <laughs> um, you can, if you are more interested in my thoughts and emotions about pop culture and media, you can read my tiny letter. You can find that at tinyletter.com backslash magicalmartha. Um, and you can follow me on all of the other social medias uh, at Magical Martha. I'm very consistent. One of the reasons I stopped playing Harry Potter Wizards Unite is because when I signed up, I could not have Magical Martha be my username, and that what? was unacceptable. Yeah, it's been my it's been my handle since I was 15 years old. Yeah, you so I clearly cannot <laughs> pick a different name. Uh, Pete, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Pico3000, P-I-K-O-3000, uh, politics and pop culture, uh, as always. Uh, and we will be back in a couple of weeks talking about things. Cyclical storytelling. Cyclical storytelling, yes, of course. <laughs> um. uh, for homework of the cyclical storytelling episode, I am assigning a book that I've already mentioned once this episode. Uh, that is N.K. Jemisin's The Fifth Season, the 2015 book that is the first uh, of the Broken Earth trilogy. Uh, it was also the first of Jemisin's Hat Trick Hugo Award uh, novels. Martha is assigning the film classic The Wizard of Oz, so sit back and enjoy that Technicolor dreamscape. Class dismissed.